Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could, would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Cause we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Roto World Football Show. I am Patrick Darty, joined by Denny Carter, Patrick Crane, and Kyle Dvorak as we get ready to preview the entire Week Three slate. We're going to go in depth on all of the week's biggest games. Well, all of the games. We're not going in depth. <laughs> I mean, we're not going in depth on some of these like Bears games. But uh, we're going to talk about the Bills and the Dolphins, America's teams, Detroit and Minnesota squaring off in the Twin Cities, touching all the the hot button fantasy players, all the big time debates. But first, now I say this. Uh, my words carefully because, like, don't get me wrong, Jeff Bezos, he's a dear friend of mine, but uh, thought he paid for better Thursday night games than the Browns and the Steelers. And just why, why are my eyes bleeding with a 38 and a half over under for Thursday night football is what I would ask Jeff Bezos, where he thinks he can send people to Mars, uh, maybe send people to Cleveland and make a better football game. You ever thought about that? Anyone else have thoughts on this? If Jeff thought he was, if Jeff thought he was getting uh, anything other than Jags Titans level of Thursday night football, he doesn't understand the traditions that underpin the NFL. There hasn't been, I mean, I can't imagine there's been a good Thursday night game since like the eighties. Like I have so they, many. They didn't do it in the eighties, Kyle, but it's fine. Well, we had a good one they, last week. Come on, it was one week ago. We got the Chargers chief. Oh, you mean the one where we lost the star quarterback? Oh, I mean the one I where Amazon is r- ringing in its billion dollar investment. What a surprise that game was yeah. the one good one. I, I, by the way, I have an illustration of how profitable this situation will be. Uh, good for Jeff Bezos. Uh, my dad uh, immediately called me on Thursday night and said, well, how do I watch the game? <laughs> I said, uh, you got to have Amazon Prime. He goes, what's that? I said, uh, okay, (laughs) all right. So for the the next four days, I worked hard to get my dad Amazon Prime and get him hooked up for Thursday Night Football. And he is happy to now pay $15 a month to Jeff Bezos. I'm sure this happened literally across the country to millions and millions of baby boomers asking their children, (laughs) how do I, what is Amazon Prime? How do I get it? Now, is your dad like shopping at stores and stuff? (laughs) He said, what aisle is Amazon Prime in? (laughs) So my dad will do this. He'll go on Google. If he wants to buy like a turtleneck, he'll just type in turtleneck. (laughs) (laughs) That's incredible. Okay. So, and any site that comes up, he will buy it from that site. So he's on like the Kmart website. Yeah. Turtleneck. Yep. (laughs) Yep. So that's how it works. I have noticed, by the way, the Thursday night slate kind of looks disappointingly good this year, where I think maybe Jeff Bezos was like, yeah, we're only going to do this 
if it's not Jags, Titans. Yeah. Is it really? It seemed, I felt like that was such a t- tradition to have terrible, I know. like really AFC South based games. All traditions die. Yeah, not- it used to be back when it started, you know, it was 16 AFC South games and that was it. And they've like slowly more and more gotten away from that. And now it's like barely even any divisional matchups, by the way. But we're starting today with a divisional matchup. Coming off two of the most impressive wins of week two, the Bills and Dolphins square off in Miami with the Bills arriving in town as six-point favorites. Denny, one of the biggest storylines in this game is the potential return of Gabe Davis. It sounds like guaranteed return of Gabe Davis, by the way. He said he's 100% certain he will play, but we will start in the Dolphins receiver course. Something you and I have actually talked about a lot. Is how is the usage battle shaking out between Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell through two weeks? And coming up you know, an historic week two for yeah. both of them. So uh, Gabe Davis, by the way, there was some, some film and we know uh, you guys know that first and foremost, I'm a film guy film from Bill's practice where he looks a little gimpy. So I, I would, I would, you know, be a little, a little wary of that. Um, but you know, so last you just week, ruined the show. Tell me not to be excited about Gabe Davis. And uh, well, I know I'm, I'm, I'm a Gabe Davis guy. I'm, I'm very disappointed about all this whole thing. I wish he wouldn't hurt himself. Um, you know, but so Hill and Waddle last week, obviously go berserk. Uh, I'll cut to the chase and say that Waddle's usage and production seems more, I want to say, stable and possibly reliable than Tyree Kills because I know Tyreek ended up with 190 yards. You're happy about that. I'm happy. Everybody's happy. But 110 of those yards came on two blown coverages. That, that, that's the only way that you can describe what happened against Baltimore in the Dolphins' frantic second-half comeback, fourth-quarter comeback against the Ravens. They blew the coverage, and and Tyreek happens to be very fast. He got behind the defense, 110 yards on two catches. So before that, it was it was honestly uh, just all Jalen Waddle all the time, much to the chagrin of Tyreek Hill, I should say. Uh, t- uh, Waddle had a 40% target share to Hill's 27% against Baltimore, uh, and even though Tyreek caught those two long passes from Tua, uh, Waddle led in air yards with 50% of the team's air yards to 36%. Uh, for Tyreek so I, I look Tyreek's gonna have big games like we, we we knew this but man Waddle's week two could could uh, you know pretend great things for him going forward can't the answer here be both it can uh, be both. no 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 Hill's got a either 31% or. target share either or right? society uh, for the season Hill has a 31% target share and Waddle's at 30% Hill's at 39% of air yards Waddle's at 37% they're both it's gonna be fun. I mean, it's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. It is going to be fun. It's also, though, I, Denny, you covered it. What was what was going on before they were down three touchdowns? Was yeah. it like a fun offense before that? Like they took the restrictor plate off yeah. and they're down 28 to seven. I mean, was it as fun before no. they fell behind by three touchdowns? No, yeah. The restrictor plate was off from, from snap one. Okay. Like they, they, okay. they were, they were, dolphins were not messing around. Like they, like they, they weren't trying to establish, they weren't trying to check down, they weren't trying to do anything. They were trying. They had their foot on the gas the whole time, and you got to give them credit uh, for that. You know, we I talked with with Pat Crane after the uh, the game on Sunday, and it is it's a it's a great offense for fantasy because it's only going to two guys, and we know yeah. that it, it's going to nobody else. Uh, that's it's fantastic. It's a very highly predictable. Well, Mike Jacecki had a cryptic tweet that begs to differ after he <laughs> scored a touchdown and eight percent target share. Get out. He doesn't think it's that narrow. Uh, Crane, Denny mentioned how they're not establishing. Uh, they were like establishing maybe a new pecking order in the backfield, whereas Raheem Mostert seemed to be kind of featuring over Chase Edmonds. Is that concerning? Is that real? Or is this just like a classic 
This is a game plan based backfield. For whatever reason, Mike McDaniel thought the game plan said Raheem Mostert. Because to me, this week, I feel like you know you could you're going to really need like Chase Edmonds out in space against the Bills. But just what is the lay of the land in this Dolphins backfield? It's looked you know totally different usage patterns through two games so far. I don't think this is good for Edmonds at all. I mean, he ranks in rush yards over expected per attempt. He is dead last. He's running back 38 in that metric. So he has not been a good rusher. Nevertheless. Is, yeah. Mostert's been okay. He's running back 23. It's not like he's been amazing. But we know, you know, in this offense, he can rip off some big plays. So I think him flipping Edmonds is, you know, I think that could be real. Uh, now, I have Mostert on a number of zero running back teams, and I was kind of excited by this development. Yeah, then you go, brag, you're like, huh? yeah. yeah, you're no. like, oh, I'm going to put Mostert in my lineup. Excited to put Mostert in your lineup. Real, real zero running back sicko. But going against the Bills, I mean, this is not yeah. the the matchup that you want to see. They rank fourth in EPA allowed per rush. They rank sixth in rushing success rate. So this is going to be probably a not very fun place to start a Dolphins running back. But at this point, I would start Mostert over Edmonds. That's interesting. I, to me, I, I'm just kind of like skeptical to like. Like this could be like Mike McDaniel's designs are like known only to him kind of thing. And then Mm -hmm. like this week, all of a sudden it's like 16. I mean, I'm speaking superstitiously where you're speaking like from actual data, but (laughs) so who's to say who's right. I know who's to say who's right, but I do fear that that kind of, and I, I mean this week Raheem Mostert, you know, like change of pace running back. who's kind of like a head of steam running back. And then when he gets in the open field, he's really dangerous. I don't know if that profiles, that well against the Bills. Where I would push is- back a little on the – because they both ran the same number of routes last week. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a – I agree. It, it didn't feel great for Chase Edmonds. Yeah, and too. Edmonds was worked in a lot in the second half during their their, their comeback, whereas Mo- it was all Mostert in the first half against Baltimore. Uh, and if Mostert had gotten more passing down work, I would be more excited for him. But he's like an RB3-4 this week against Buffalo. Just real quick, do we have any fear this week that the Dolphins are going to do? They're playing like a Death Star offense. Do we have like any fear they're going to do like a keep away type thing, even as good as they looked last week, where maybe teams pretty quickly decide the only way to beat the Bills is you have to try to absolutely maximize your possessions to keep the ball away from them? Or is I mean, that kind of silly coming good, off? Good the luck. Game? Good luck doing yeah, that. I guess. Yeah, that, that's what I would say. <laughs> also, that's Mike a- Mike McDaniel's. Two and up, like he he's been putting it out there every. He hasn't beaten anybody. He's only beaten Bill Belichick and John Harbaugh. It's, he hasn't yeah, beaten, like, he hasn't I don't think he's yet. gonna just like shy away from this matchup. You know what I mean? Like he's, I th- I think he's feeling himself a little bit, and they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna pass. Yeah, I, I I tend to agree with that. Kyle on the other side, you know, the Bills again just basically have played as good of offensive football as possible through two games. And a big part of that has been Steph Diggs uh, really bouncing back from what he called himself called a down 2021. Should his absolute dominance make us waver in our Gabe Davis commitment? You know, this week the injury could change the calculus a little bit, but do you think this will still be like Steph Diggs? We were already treating as a wide receiver one, of course, but will there still be space basically for Gabe Davis to be a wide receiver too? 
Yeah, I don't want to lock Gabe Davis in for anything yet because my boots on the ground film take that I acquired from Denny a few minutes ago, as you guys might have heard, is he looks gimpy in practice. But when he's at full strength, like it's very clear that he's just their best second option at receiver. We've seen really nothing promising from Jameson Crowder or Isaiah McKenzie, which shouldn't or be. Or Dawson Knox. Even. Or Dawson Knox. Exactly. He's been terrible in yards per route run. Jameson Crowder, 46 in yards per route run. Isaiah McKenzie, 67. Oh. These guys are, are just jags out there getting slot snaps that really shouldn't turn into much. Whereas Gabe Davis is an elite field stretcher who's been playing well. So to me, I think that what we saw from Gabe Davis in week one, they used one every single one of Josh Allen's dropbacks, and he looked good in that role. Is he going to – is it like even a 1A, 1B – Probably not, dude. Spawn Diggs is just too good to make that happen. But it could be the best passing team in the NFL with a clear number two receiver and no third option in sight. That's all you need for Gabe Davis to be like a high-end wide receiver too. Before we move on, does anyone have any useful insight on the Bills' backfield or no? Is it just yeah, you know, pain, suffering? There, there, was, there was a lot of, a lot of times in August where – you know, I would I would really think hard about the Bills' offense and look into it very strongly, and I would come out saying, "Who cares? Yeah. Why, why am I doing this? It's Who true. Cares? It's just, it it's just true. there's nothing there's nothing here. It, it, yeah, even in the league's best offense, there's just nothing there. I mean, they forty one to seven. I think Devin Singletary had like eight touches against the Titans. He didn't get to like close it out. Yeah, I mean that's why they're the league's best offense is because yeah, yeah. they've got these like mid-off running backs just competing for eight oh, touches man. a game on, while they're while they have the best quarterback in the league and the best receiver in the league or at least top two top three whatever that's how you become the best offense that's how you become the death star right is that you just pass a ton when you've got the best passing attack james cook right. looks pretty good I, I mean you can't obviously have anything to do with him this week but i i'm excited to have james cook get more work as the season goes mm-hmm. on he he has a little juice i think Famous last words before he's a healthy scratch coming up here soon. Uh, off to perplexing early starts, Kyle. The Ravens and Patriots square off in New England. The Patriots operating as two-and-a-half-point favorites. What do the people need to know about an intriguing game, even if it's an extremely low-totaled game, 43-and-a-half? Yeah, I, I think for me, the Patriots kind of boils down to two, two-and-a-half players. Jacoby Myers, 13th in target share, but per the Jacoby Myers usual, no no red zone looks, no end zone looks. You're pretty good for 60 not really yards. that important part of inf- offensive football. I mean, no, like at that point when you get in the red zone, take the three points. Don't throw it to your best receiver. <laughs> Just kick the field goal on first down. That's, I mean, that's the Jacoby Myers special it is six for 60. And PPR, quite good. He got to 90 last week, I believe. So I think you can trust him as like a wide receiver three. It just feels so like boring ceiling cap, but not every player has to have a 40 point ceiling. Ramondre set a career high in routes last week, 23. So only saw two targets, but with Ty Montgomery out for a few weeks, uh, like, I want to be optimistic. He's running the routes. They trust him. PFF has graded him in consecutive games as a very good pass blocker. That's what we saw Bill Belichick talk about in the offseason. But with the offense just playing so, so slow, so ineffectively, you know, I, I'm starting to lose faith that even if we do get sort of the role we want, we we ran bad or we maybe we should have seen this coming with all of the offensive scheme turnover in the offseason that no matter what the, the, the running backs are going to shake out as, they weren't going to be as valuable as we had all hoped. So, you know, Ramondre, a flex viable play. He should get some run in the passing game based on his routes last week. But overall, just an offense I'm not too excited about. Baltimore, obviously, an offense we're excited about. Raisins are top 10 and pass rate over expected. The interesting thing is, just like last year, they obviously went to pass a lot more often and they had no running backs and their defense is playing bad this year. 
they ha- had, it looks like they should get J.K. Dobbins back. No running backs. Their defense is playing bad. I'd be curious if J.K. Dobbins sort of changes the complexion of their offense. Maybe not in the first week back, but if he's running as efficiently as he did as a rookie, yeah, he, he could definitely be a reason for them to get to a more neutral situation type of deal. That was I was you, you go, Kareem. Well, I I mean I gotta defend Ramondre Stevenson here a little bit. I mean we gotta have we gotta have a little excitement for a guy with, who's got the clear Do passing we? down role in the Patriots. What I mean, look, I Patriots did are, for months and months and months. <laughs> now my fa- you now see you this know. nice house behind me. Guess what? I'm moving out of it. <laughs> <laughs> what, what kind of leagues are you playing in that settle up after two weeks? I don't know. Uh, very oh scary God, people. They're scary people. <laughs> yeah, Sorry to hear that. Uh, um, for the rest of us who play in these season-long leagues, uh, <laughs> there's still time for Ramondre Stevenson to deliver here. Uh, Pierre Strong was the, the number three back last week. Uh, didn't really get any yet, like three snaps or something. So you don't have to worry about a third running back the way you did in week one. With this kind of route share, I think we will eventually see a, a reliable role for Stevenson. And my guess is that they're playing you know, somewhat from behind in this game with the Ravens pushing things. So, you know, if that's the case, we should see some checkdowns. You still have an immobile quarterback in Mac Jones. Like, I think there will still be plenty of checkdowns in this offense, even though we only got the two targets last week. Before we move on from this game, just real quick, I'll go around the horn. Would any of you three, would you treat, if J.K. Dobbins is active, we're still getting very mixed signals. He got in some full practices last week and then didn't play. So I'm not taking a status for granted yet. If J.K. Dobbins makes his debut, starting with Denny, would you treat him as a, a top 36 running back, a.k.a. a flex? No, no. I, I, so I, I actually, you know, uh, disagree with, the, with, with Kyle's, what Kyle said about maybe the Ravens get a little more neutral and a little more balanced when J.K. Dobbins returns. They, they they can't run the ball like they they try they try I've I've now seen they tried with Kane Drake and Mike Davis these guys are, are not good running backs no I know I know I mean Mike Davis especially is atrocious uh, but I don't I, know what I, they expected he was the worst running back in football last year <laughs> they were like I don't know maybe this guy's got something like yeah. guess what he doesn't this guy yeah doesn't I know they they're not uh, they're not looking at the metrics but I I just I struggle to see like anybody emerging as a reliable running back in this backfield. I think it's, it's going to be a, like a lot of passing. Like we saw last year, it's not what they want to do, obviously, but it, it's what they have to do. Crane. Yes. Ravens or no. Are, JK Dobbins uh, top 36 running back. No Ravens are 29th in EPA per rush 31st in rush success percentage. They have the 23rd ranked run block grade by PFF. So I, I mean, you don't know how many snaps you're getting from Dobbins. you should probably guess not a full-time role. I mean, that seems very safe. And yeah, he's getting inserted into this rushing attack. That's really struggled. Brain, despite letting Joe Flacco cook the jets in our weeks three as six point home underdogs to the Cincinnati Bengals. What do fantasy managers need to know in a game with a really, really weird setup where the jets are pushing the pace and passing nonstop and the Bengals are taking six to seven sacks per game and looking God awful. To me, this sets up as a really nice get-right spot for the Bengals. Um, you know, I don't think the Jets are going to be, like, necessarily pushing it. Like, in week one, they're basically they, – they were just in, like, kind of dump off we're going to pass because we're down mode more than, like – they're not aggressive, you know. Well, it's but weird. They, this is they, that's what happened last year, though, is that they were, they were, like, one of the faster-paced teams in passing nonstop. I thought it was just because they stunk. 
But is this just like what Robert Sala believes? I'm just very confused. I think they're willing to, you know, try to win a game that's sort of like it's a left-handed script for them. Like they want to kind of establish and, you know, like kind of have a low volume passing offense. I mean, they do have Joe Flacco quarterback, but I feel like that they're, they're willing to say, all right, fine. You know, you win, we're going to try to win this game still. And we're going to pass. Um, so, but it, it is, I think dependent on the Bengals to kind of get them to that script, but I think they will because what you've seen over the last two weeks, obviously Burrow, you know, he's taking a ton of sacks. Burrow's going to take sacks. That's just kind of who he is, but he's been in tough spots where he's going up against a really strong pass rush, with the Steelers, they had T.J. Watt for 66% of, of snaps in that game, despite you know him tearing his pack, uh, I believe, in the third quarter. He then gets Micah Parsons and the Cowboys. They have the second-graded pass rush right now. Uh, the Cowboys rank second in pressures within 2.5 seconds or less. The Steelers rank eighth. The Jets rank just 21st. I mean, part of so, the reason they might rank that high, though, is because they're, they're, they're going Bengals. Yeah, but, yeah, that's true. But, that's Sure. But I also think that, you know, it's, again, not that Burrow isn't going to take sacks this week. He's still going to take sacks. It's that there's going to be some additional opportunities for him to get the ball mm-hmm. downfield. And in addition to those sacks, I think we're going to see some big plays. The Jets rank 30th in EPA allowed per dropback. They're ranked 27th in passing success rate. They're 29th in PFF's coverage grades. One of their games was against Jacoby Brissett to earn these grades. So, you know. Yeah. I think that there's uh, a real opportunity for the Bengals to pass all over the Jets. And then on the other side, I'm getting very excited about Garrett Wilson. He was up to 75% route participation last week. He could be very easily this week up to a full-time, like a true you know, 85% type of full-time uh, route participation this week. The interesting thing is that when you look at his yards per target, he has an 11.4 ADOT. His yards per target of 7.0 is actually pretty bad for where he's getting targeted. He is underperforming his target volume. This breakout has been driven by the fact that he's getting a huge target share and a huge target rate. He only has 65% of the routes right now, but he has a 24% target share and a 35% air yard share. I am in on Garrett Wilson. And Mike Clay pointed out he's drawn five end zone targets already, which seems pretty good for a rookie in two games. Um, Again, going around the, the horn real quick, beginning with Denny, would you rank Garrett Wilson or Elijah Moore as the highest Jets wide receiver this week? I mean, a week after Elijah Moore saw uh, a target on like 11% of his routes and Garrett Wilson just dominated targets, I would have a really hard time ranking more above Wilson. So I guess Wilson. Kyle? Wilson. Grain. Grainer. Wilson. Yeah, I mean – I, I, it felt like one of those crazy things when I was doing the rankings this week. Like, I, it, it, it kind of feels like a stunt when you do something like that. But I had Garrett Wilson in the top 24, and I have him pretty well ahead of Elijah Moore. And maybe things could change, but you have to, you have to abandon you know, your preconceived notions that you've been building up for six months over the summer and just like trust your eyes and, and yeah. trust the data. And all of it says Garrett Wilson is right. far, not just ahead of Elijah Moore, but far ahead of Elijah. It, like, like Crane said, there, there's nothing fluky about no. about week two or week one. I mean, week one was was fine for Garrett Wilson, like usage wise and everything. Like, there, there's nothing that jumps out. It goes, well, well, we might want to pump the brakes. Everything is like a green light for him. Yeah, yeah, it was a green green light. The two most exciting teams in football, the Detroit Lions and Minnesota Vikings, square off in the Twin Cities with the Vikings operating as six-point home favorites, even after Kirk Cousins pledged his fealty to Cosa Nostra 
in week two and threw this game on national television. Crane, this is one of the week's highest totaled affairs, and we will begin in Minnesota where I'm wondering if we will see a different offensive approach from the Vikings this week. And just for legal purposes, I do not have any evidence that Kirk Cousins actually <laughs> threw the game. Uh, so, yeah, Crane, <laughs> what, 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 different game plan after Kirk Cousins, again, plays quarterback as poorly as possible in week two. Wait, so what was your actual question? I'm just thrown by this this game. Throwing <laughs> the mafia accusations. <laughs> Kirk Cousins, he's awful in week two. Dalvin Cook only gets the ball ten times. Kevin O'Connell was kind of like, yeah, we should get Dalvin Cook more in rhythm. Do you think we're going to see a different approach? So, like, Kevin O'Connell seemed like basically like, I, I can fix Kirk Cousins. I can make Kirk Cousins happen. Like, this is, I'm, this is easy. I'm coming from the Rams. Uh, but do we think we're going to see maybe a, a run-heavier, more toned-down approach from the Vikings this week? I don't I mean I don't think we'll see a run heavy approach from the Vikings. They had a 4% pass rate of expected in week 1. They then ramped that up to 11% in week 2. You can kind of do what you want generally against the Lions. Their pass rush I think is a, maybe a little bit better than we thought, but overall this is not like a great defense. So you'll probably operate kind of the way you want to operate against the Lions and I would expect that that's kind of similar to like the Packers, the Rams, a pass first style, maybe not a super pass heavy style like we saw last week. They were kind of forced into that. But I they'll probably get back to where they were around week one, which is that very much a, a pass first, but somewhat balanced offense. Any pushback on that? Does anyone think maybe Kevin O'Connell's already been radicalized? And said, like, yeah, I should probably just start leaning on Dalvin Cook a lot more. I see why Mike Zimmer had became the Joker four different he'd become four different jokers he had been jack nicholson yeah. joker then he became heath ledger joker then he when he ended he was joaquin phoenix joker we have uh we're two weeks away from kirk cousins uh punching kevin o'connell in the chest like he did with Mike <laughs> uh, so, i think crane's probably right though i mean uh, kirk cousins is the ultimate coach killer kevin o'connell should know that he should know that and uh should he know is or does he know do any of us know is Irv Smith good at football? Does anyone have an Irv Smith opinion after two weeks? Donutted in week one. He, like, caught some passes in week two. But, I mean, well, he's didn't he drop on. a touchdown? He I mean, dropped a long touchdown. Okay, yeah, yeah, actually, he, good? he did. Does anyone think he's good? And I'm upset about it. I'm still yeah, – Then you still, sound upset. You, you perked right up when we talked I, about You touchdown. know, my showdowns were looking pretty good, and that would have helped a lot. But, uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, he's still splitting routes. He's splitting routes with Johnny Munt. and uh good. And and so Johnny wants um, a defensive lineman, by the way, if you don't know who that is. If you're uh, <laughs> so um, yeah, you got me off track here. But uh, sorry, it's my, my on, a, on a night on a night where Kirk Cousins <laughs> drops back 50 times like he get like he did against Philadelphia. It it's, it's kind of works. It could work for Irv Smith. But on a, in a regular game where he drops back 35 times, then splitting the routes doesn't look as as good. So I, I still think he's like a desperation streaming option. Yeah, yeah I think the fact he, that this game is like such a good total and and should be a pretty high scoring affair. Both teams passing probably. Maybe that gives you some life that he can do what he did last week. But like that's kind of a ceiling. It's like ah, I hope he catches four, gets in the end zone, then we get to write it off as a tight end eleven week. I I've never really got it with Irv Smith. He was unproductive at Alabama. He's in a split role. Like he's never done really anything in the NFL as a career yards per hour run of one. Other than that, other than that, other than that. Yeah. No. It's a, he's a touchdown or bust. And you know, it's not that great of a bet because he's not out there all the time. Might go to Johnny Munt. <laughs> and the coach said after week one, he was a game plan dependent player. Not usually if you're very good, the game, it doesn't matter what the game plan is because you will be in the game plan. If you are very good. 
Denny, is it to the point on the other side of the ball where we are just declaring Amon Ross St. Brown for real? Where eight catches, 12 targets every week. Now he's mixing in more big plays yeah. and almost a 50 yard rush in week two. I I jammed him in the, the wide receiver one ranks this week because it's yeah. kind of like, I mean, it'd be like insanity almost not to at this point. Uh, will it come back to bite me? Extremely for real, I think. Uh, he's tied with Cooper Cup right now for the third highest target per route run rate after leading all wide receivers in target per route run in the second half of 2021. He's eighth in expected receiving points so far through two games. And the Lions, uh, you know, bad defense, I think, should continue generating lots of plays uh, for the Lions and probably a negative game script. So it, it, I think it all aligns for uh, for a huge season for maybe the most spiteful, hate, hate-driven receiver ever. Okay, this guy wants to prove every NFL team wrong that pass. You've got to love this, though. Okay, yeah. No, yeah. No, th- this well, game, just a quick plug. Check out Galaxy Brains. He's Danny and I talk about this in depth this week. This that's is right. insane. This is, is a violent behavior, uh, which is perfect for a receiver like Amon Ra. That's right. Amon Ra St. Brown is in full Larry Bird <laughs> mode. Okay. Like he is, he's, he's just looking to just destroy teams, destroy individuals. Uh, he will never, ever stop. And that's good for your fantasy team. For the audience, it was a, a quick quote on Amon Ra, something along the lines of, you know, you were drafted after Diami Brown, who you just played last week. Well, you know, what do you think of that? And he's like, well, you know, I didn't see Diami much. I guess he's on the sidelines the whole game, which was factually true. But, man. He brought Diami up. Yeah, he, he brought, brought him up. The reporter did not. Oh, yeah. He stopped the press conference to just start talking about how bad Diami Brown was. Yeah. Diami Brown, by the way, nice I kind of wanted to. Didn't come up naturally in the course of no, that, the discussion it, of that it. game. Oh, Karina, I wanted man. to bring up in Galaxy Brains, by the way, you know, it was kind of because of you I drafted him in the Dynasty League last year. And it's what's going on with Diami. Um, oh, uh, nothing. Nothing's going on. That guy. <laughs> <laughs> so we think Amon Ross St. Brown is for real. Do we think TJ Hawkinson is for real as a top eight tight end one? I think he said seven targets both weeks. Is he going to be a stabler? tight end one than we thought i mean i don't know if anyone thought he's gonna be unstable tight end one maybe are we feeling a little better no one no one all summer i don't think i witnessed tj hawkinson get drafted one time even no. though it was adp <laughs> in the top 100 i never once saw a single fantasy football professional draft tj hawkinson and i just wonder if any of our thoughts have changed yeah his thing was like a glitch in the system where he would go enough spots behind adp and then all the draft formats would just remove and he's like oh no one's drafting let's knock him out of there <laughs> and that's how his adp got to where it was i mean like look i, I i'm not gonna be playing tj hawkinson I, I mean stable he's gone under 40 yards two games hasn't scored sure he's seeing seven targets right. each week but you're gonna need the literally the lions their games have both put up i believe 73 points on the dot and he's getting to six seven ppr points he's not efficient he's not drawing targets like i don't even think he's a tight end one yeah think about like logically the way this is likely to go amon ross st brown has an eight out of 6.0 he is start drawing a target on 35 percent of his routes he's a 34 percent target share he is dominating targets and he plays at a very shallow area of the field hawkinson has a 6.3 a dot He's getting targets in the exact same part of the field because Amon Ra plays in the slot mostly, 75% of his snaps there. So it's over the middle, shallow targets. That's what Hawkinson needs. He's just not going to be able to rack up a bunch of those yeah. targets with Amon Ra St. Brown being this target hawk. And I think we all expect him, you know, he'll cool off a little. But I think, you know, he's gonna he's going to be out targeting Hawkinson by a wide margin. It's not like Hawkinson has has some alternate role in this offense where he can kind of 
succeed while Amon Ross succeeding. I think that's just, you'd need to be a deep threat and then you'd probably need a non Jared Goff quarterback for, you know, you to actually see targets. Green, by the way, I will trade you Diami Brown in the road. Dynasty. <laughs> he, he is on the block and has been since final cuts this summer. Denny, the chiefs toughed out a week to win over the chargers. Well, the Colts kind of, I don't even know what they did. They got shut out by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, first time for everything. It was actually uh, the last team to shut out the Colts four years ago was somehow the Jaguars. The Colts may need to have their best people look into this. Uh, what is going on with the, in this game where Michael Pittman seems to be coming back for the Colts? Alec Pierce may be coming back. Will things be different this week? No, I mean, I, 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 the Colts, are, you just mark them down as 0-2 and one, like it, like this. It's not, not, it's not happening against this Chiefs team. Uh, even if they get Pittman back, who cares? Um, obviously, Matt, I, mean, I kind of do. I, well, no, I'm saying from a real football. I, I want, I desperately need Michael Pittman yeah, back. Okay, good. <laughs> I just want to put that out there. If Michael's listening, uh, you know, I want to talk about Ashton Doolin. and I'm, I'm going to stop myself, uh, but I will say. If Alec Pierce is out, Doolin becomes somewhat interesting. I'm going to write him up for tomorrow's column. You can check it out there. Danny, uh, what's the column called again, by the way? It's called Funneling Fantasy Points. And it is DFS focused, but I think it can also help you with redraft if if you look hard enough. Uh, I, I, I like uh, CEH here. And, I, and I'm not saying the CEH's usage is like outrageous because obviously Jarek McKinnon is stealing a lot of the high-value touches. Uh, including green zone stuff, which is really disappointing for those who drafted CEH. Uh, but, you know, CEH has been really efficient so far. He had 7.7 yards per carry uh, last week. He had 30% of the, um, sorry, he has 34% of the rushing share through uh, through two weeks. Um, he has almost half of the backfield's high value touches. Like I said, that's not, that's not fantastic, but it's better. It's better than it, than it has been. Uh, and he's he's in the top twelve in rush yards over expected per attempt. So he's he's better. Like he's way better than he is than he was last year or even the year before. I think he's putting it together. The Colts are a run funnel. Uh, could be worse. Could be worse for Ceh. Anyone else have any thoughts on Colts Chiefs? Where it's it's been kind of straightforward so far for oh, both these teams. I will say one one more thing. Uh, so Gus Bradley, uh, the defensive coordinator for. Colts has uh, had his struggles against Patrick Mahomes kind of refuses to play cover two, which is the thing that everybody does against Mahomes. And it tends to limit his deep ball stuff. Uh, Hasn't done it. And Mahomes has taken full advantage. I'll say that McCole Hardman leads this team in air yards through two weeks. So I'm just putting it out there. That's the Bradley got reamed by the Chiefs every time he played in there with the Raiders. (laughs) I would also mention Marcus Valdez Scantling, who has an 8.8 A dot, which is not very Marcus Valdez Scantling like at all. This guy's right. been at like 16 plus basically every year of his career. He's a true deep threat. I know his like routes have been slightly different with the Chiefs than with the Packers, but like he's still Marcus Valdez Scantling. That 8.8 A dot to me, you know, combined with a 13% target share says this guy just hasn't gotten open. It's not that he's suddenly like a, an intermediate shallow guy, he just hasn't gotten open deep yet. If they're throwing more deep passes against this Gus Bradley defense, I think he is also someone to really keep in mind. Just real quick on Juju Smith-Schuster. Had a solid week one, but it was against a hor- horrifyingly bad Cardinals defense. And then just an invisible week two against a really, really good Chargers defense. 
we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're maybe thinking he could be a wide receiver too. I, I definitely suffered from a confirmation bias in, in week one where I thought he would easily lead the receiver core in targets. Then he did that. I'm like, yeah, all right, he's a wide receiver too. And then he humiliated me in week two. <laughs> and uh, Intentionally. Yeah. Anyone have any thoughts on Juju Smith-Schuster? It's not horrible. Fifteen percent target share. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't think we're getting like the, like the mo- a monster season out of Juju. But I, I was always a little skeptical on that. Anyway, uh, like, I I like, had been. like Mahomes said in August, like we're going to spread it around. Sorry, sorry if you triggered. Yeah, sorry if I am. Yeah, eighteen percent target per route run is not good. That's where, where he's at this year. It's not like horrible, but he's a shallow eight dot guy. So we need, we need volume. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm not shocked. Like he, he hasn't been good since 2018. So, oh man, <laughs> yeah, he has not. I acted like that was like a slander. He just objectively has not been <laughs> oh, yeah. good since 2018. Been bad for an entire presidential cycle, entire Olympic cycle, probably entire leap year cycle. Probably not a good thing. No problem. Kyle, the Tennessee Titans, who can no longer run the football, apparently, host the Las Vegas Raiders as two point home underdogs. I mean, what do the people, if anything, need to know about this game? Yeah, I, I mean, the, the Titans are, are not good. This is a team that I, I think they're just in shambles. They're probably, I get it, they were good last year, but I thought they were one of the more fraudulent one seeds we've ever seen. And that turns out to be somewhat true. They've, they've had some overturn this year, so maybe you could blame it on that. But really, I mean, the 31st in EPA per rush, ten, Henry ranks dead last in total rush yards over expected. Like Crane said, Chase Edmonds is the least efficient per touch. <laughs> but man, when you are trying to feed Derrick Henry and he's giving you less than the expectation, that is the perfect recipe to absolutely tank your offense. I still think Henry's an above average running back, but he's getting older. He got banged up last year. The line isn't particularly good. You can see a scenario in which this team is just struggling all year. And obviously we saw that versus the Bills, at which point they had to put in Malik Willis. The game was so over. The only thing that I'm really excited about is Traylon Burks, who was dunked on all summer for being slightly out of shape. He ranks first in the NFL in targets per route run and fifth in yards per route run. If this team is at least going to make some sort of effort to come back because they're not going to be winning in many games, I, I want to be playing me some Traylon Burks. I get that the offense isn't the most exciting to target, but like he already has the makings of a good NFL receiver, and that was exactly his profile coming out of college. So I, I'm a little excited about him. On the other side of the ball, Hunter Renfro ranks 74th in yards per route run because he has a 3.18 on I'm not buying the mirage of last week, two catches for like a dozen yards and a touchdown for Devontae Adams. I still think he's uh, like the alpha receiver, one of the premier alphas in the NFL, because you shouldn't be running your, your offense through Hunter Renfro. He gives you what he gave you last week. So I'm excited about Devontae, always will be. Josh Jacobs, he's dominating the carries on a team that's so-so. He's probably flex-worthy. I mean, he's definitely flex-worthy. He's probably top 30. Crane, it looks like you're holding in thoughts in response to Kyle. Well, well, you know, he's talking about Traylon Burks, who, you know, I face borderline <laughs> harassment here by our, our content managers for drafting. For drafting you know, Traylon Burks, so he's telling me, oh, he's drafting to kill Harry again. By the way, HR promises that hearing will be soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, you're real committed to the bit, huh? Yeah, well, you know what? You know what, Ray? <laughs> say his name. Raymond Summerlin is the one who's been slandering uh, Traylon Burks and yourself. Yeah, always good to write off a player before he takes an NFL. <laughs> That's get some trouble. I, yeah, uh, go ahead. Well, I wanted to ask Kyle because I've lost all perspective with Traylon Burks, as you can tell. How soon can we play him? Because he had a uh, 61% route rate last week, but that's still – too low, right? We we want to get like I mentioned, Wilson's at seventy five percent. That makes me feel like okay, 
we can kind of project another small increase and then he's there. Burks, it feels like you're kind of like hoping and praying if you put him in lineups this week, but are we like a week away? I don't mind being a week early on him uh, just because they, they really don't have much like life. Like I, I'm not, I'm not seeing Robert Woods as their savior to, to offensive production. Is it, I, this is the first time all year I've heard someone mention his name, by the way. Why would you? Why I would look you look up his game Robert? log and like he had targets and stuff, but yeah, uh, not making an impact. Uh, but I mean, I, I mostly say that because there are teams that are, uh, you know, already getting beat up by injury. So if he makes it into someone's flex lineup this week, I really wouldn't be surprised. I think I'll only have him ranked as like a low end wide receiver for him, probably that four or five border. But like that's playable numbers, even if it's not particularly exciting, just because the week that he does step into an 80 percent route rate type of role. Like I'm excited to see what that looks like. I'll just two, two real quick parting thoughts in this game is do not underrate Mike Rabel devil magic and the Titans never ever look good on paper and then are somehow always good in practice. And I just, I really hope last week was not a welcome to Vegas moment for Devonte Adams. Cause I'll tell you one thing Aaron Rodgers would not do is let Devonte Adams get taken away by Byron Murphy. Um, and I just, that's not something that would happen with Aaron Rodgers a quarterback. So, our, well, our produ- by the way, our producer Adam points out that Traylon Burks is rated number six, number the sixth rated receiver by Pro Football Focus through two weeks. I, you know, that may be bullish, but I will say he looks the part. Uh, you know, the old eye test, which I do all the time, is you know he looks he looks the part. And there's nobody there's nobody else like there you. Robert Woods is not commanding targets. I, Kyle Phillips has that dog, but he's not a, a target dominator. So uh, yeah, Burks Burks. And the, the thing is. If this season gets out of hand and they go with Malik Willis, then Burks' uh, upside vanishes. We'll be right back after this. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Just a reminder, if you don't have the NBC Sports Predictor app, go download it now. The contests are free and easy to play, and you have a shot to win thousands this weekend by predicting what will happen in college football, Major League Baseball, on the NASCAR circuit, and in the Premier League. There's also $100,000 up for grabs by guessing the outcome between the 49ers and Broncos and our Sunday night seven contest. The Washington Commanders and Philadelphia Eagles. Exciting football is here, folks. They are meeting in our cherished nation's capital with a 47 total between them. Uh, And I'm garbling. Uh, I have a totally – I wrote an intro for this. This is like basically not even English. I can't even (laughs) read it. The point is the Eagles – the Eagles and Commanders are playing, Kyle, and the Eagles are six-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, we'll get to them in a second, but I'll ask you the same question I asked Denny on Monday. Is Curtis Samuel taking command of the number one receiver job in Washington? 
All right. Well, that's canceled number one on the show, but it came pretty late. So that's pretty good. Um, like, I don't think so. I, I still want to believe that we have a pretty strong prior on Terry McLaurin being a, a true number one receiver on offense. And Curtis Samuel, on the other hand, having shown us uh, pretty consistently that he is a good complimentary piece, but has never really shown the ability to take over an offense. Now, is he showing that right now through two weeks? It would say, yes, he leads the team with 20 targets. He's also gotten five carries. Good for him, but he's not playing the true alpha wide receiver one type of role. He's got a 3.3 A dot. He leads all receivers in, in racer, but I, I struggle to see him being able to consistently turn these running back targets into long catches where Terry McLaurin playing like a, a, almost a pure deep threat role. His 15.3 A dot would be the highest of his career, but because of that, he's going to easily lead the team in air yards every week. And Crane said this last week, you know, Wentz doesn't do it ton of stuff great but he does have a, a strong arm and it, and it gives me hope i, I would still was, maybe push back i mean did he even have a strong arm well, oh he, he has a strong it's arm. the thing he does best it's not that he's good at it it's okay, that, that, of that the that's, things he does <laughs> that's a good way to frame it that's a good way to frame it it is what he's best at he's not necessarily good at it, but he is what is what he's best at sorry kyle anyway anyway i i think he still has He's got a Jameis Winston arm where it's a, a very heavy caliber cannon that connects at a, at a pretty so-so rate. But it's exciting that he is willing to do it. And McLaurin with his deep dot, I, I think is just going to give us some smash weeks coming up. And th this could be one of them, given especially that the Washington is a team that like I know the, you know, the Eagles could potentially uh, like have an elite defense. But Washington's team is going to be hard to defend because they have such good receiver depth that you can't just say, let's put everyone, let's focus the entire defense on Justin Jefferson like they did last week. You can't do that with Terry McLaurin because Curtis Samuel is good enough because Jahan Dotson is even good enough. So all it takes is a few a few deep bombs to Terry McLaurin, and he's got you know the 100-yard bonus on DraftKings or whatever. So I'm actually optimistic about him going forward just based on his role versus Curtis Samuel's like running back level role. I just fear that Curtis Samuel aligns too well with what Carson Wentz wants to do, and it's easy throws over the middle of the field and not to guys who dominate on the perimeter. But it's admittedly an evolving situation. And Crane, I don't even know, I was about to call it an evolving situation in the commander's backfield, but is it? I mean, are we seeing any glimmers of hope for Antonio Gibson where I feel like it's honestly not a good sign that it's two games without Brian Robinson and he's, he's had like command of the early down job, but it's only produced 14 carries each week. His targets predictably crashed back to earth in week two. Is there anything good in the underlying data for Antonio Gibson? Yeah, I mean, the week one was so strong. He is still running back six in target share. Um, but when you look at, you know, week one versus week two, they were, you know, they've been kind of a pass-heavy team, but that was from a, a position of strength more so in week one. And that's when you saw Antonio Gibson running 51% of the routes, J.D. McKissick at 38% last week. Gibson was down at 38%. McKissick slightly ahead at 40%. I guess it's a slightly good sign that it was that close given, you know, they were climbing from behind, which is what you would expect them to, you know, be doing here against the Eagles. I think they'll be playing from well behind. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I, I think it's it's definitely like, I don't think that week one is walking through the door again, though. It's just, it's just you know, that was a little, that's probably like a his spike week in terms of the receiving uh, upside. What's known as a moment in time. Um, <laughs> are we getting what we need on the other side from Miles Sanders? It's been pretty solid, like RB2 production on the whole, but it's still a problem where Jalen Hurts is going to be like the first option on goal line carries. But are, are we comfortable calling 
Like, I'm, are we coming to calling Miles Sanders a top 18 running back? Because that's actually how I ranked him last week. It's how I'm ranking him again this week. I think it's a little higher than consensus probably, but I feel like his touch floor is, like, very stable. And his touchdown odds are still solid, even if they're not, like – even if he's not, like, the first option. Does anyone – are we getting what we need from Miles Sanders? Who wants to take the floor on Miles Sanders? Yeah, I mean, this question's more about the listener and their personal needs. Or for you, Pat, your needs. I, I don't know if I need him to be top 18. I, th- I think I have him ranked just outside of there. But, like, he is clearly their top running back. The problem is they have uh, an even better running back, a quarterback. So his his share of the team's carries is never going to look great. But he's got two-thirds of the running back carries on the team. He's also got half of the running back red zone carries. He's running more routes than any of the other uh, of the other running backs. So, yeah, is that enough on an offense that, like, this offense is cooking. I don't think they're going to stop. That is that enough to be a top 24 running back to me? I, I think so, and that's where I'll have him ranked this week. 18 is probably right around the borderline. I think I'm just over, but you know, it'd be splitting hairs. Washington is giving up the sixth highest EPA per rush. So even though they're bad against the pass, they're also bad against the run. <laughs> I think uh, Sanders could take advantage of that. Yeah, I think maybe Kyle kind of hinted at what should maybe be the lead for Miles Sanders is that the Eagles hinted in the summer they weren't happy with Boston Scott and Kenneth Gainwell, and there's not showing anything through two games this season. And yeah, he's not the top runner on his team, Miles Sanders, but he is the top running back. And I, I think it'll be fairly stable with Miles Sanders in the top 18-ish, mm-hmm. depending on the matchup, could be lower. This another open-ended Eagles question. Can we are we feel comfortable relying on I mean, I know we're relying on Dallas Goddard as a tight end one, so that's kind of a silly question, but can we rely on Dallas Goddard maybe like an impact tight end one? And is Devontae Smith maybe as a wide receiver three? Or is it just going to be too unpredictable depending on what kind of game script the Eagles get caught up in? Because we've had a nice game from Devontae Smith and we've had a zero catch game for Devontae Smith. And I, I frankly still don't com- feel comfortable putting him in the top 36. If I remember correctly, Devontae Smith's most of his production came when A.J. Brown left the game the other night on Monday night. Is that right? AJ Brown briefly left the game and Devonte Smith popped immediately. So I feel like when AJ Brown's in the game, Devonte Smith is just such a distant number two. I don't know if you can rely on him. I would know. And I've been a pretty big Dallas Goddard bull, but he's really overperforming his target volume. He has yes. a 15.8 yards per target. Uh, he has a 5.7, a dot based on what I have here. You'd expect like his, his yards per target to be 7.3. So he's doubled up what you'd expect uh, on a per target basis. That is not sticky per target. You know, you, you see big plays, but you know, you can't count on big plays to, to continue um, the way that Goddard's been able to do them. So until we get more target volume from him, and that would probably be coming from AJ Brown. So I don't like that bet. I actually think that Goddard, you probably like in your mind, he's probably a little bit inflated, because the production that he's had so far is not sustained by target volume. This is weird with the Eagles where we could get kind of what we wanted, where we get greater passing volume and greater passing efficiency, but it's just all because of one guy and it doesn't funnel down to the other guys. And it's just because AJ Brown is that good. And yeah, I, I feel like we don't, we haven't seen the end of the story yet with Dallas Goddard and Devonte Smith's rankings. The Los Angeles Chargers host one of the only teams who won't fill the Chargers stadiums with their own fans, the Jacksonville Jaguars, trekking to Southern California this week. Patrick Crane, what do the folks need to know about this game? Yeah, uh, you mentioned here in this note that, you know, they they haven't been filling up their own stadium and everything. No, they do. It's just with other fans. But Jags Nation Uh, is one of the only opposing fan bases that isn't going to come and take over the stadium is what my elliptically worded joke was trying to get at. 
<laughs> gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we can't give them too much, too much grief here. They have just dealt with Urban Meyer for a year. Like, you know. <laughs> no, Jags Nation needs to be flying across the country. Uh, <laughs> this is how it goes. They need to be there. They need to be taken over. Every other team does it. Why aren't the Jags doing it? That's right. Uh, so Matthew, Matthew Stafford said he has to use a silent count. Sorry. Yeah, it's actually pretty embarrassing. <laughs> so, yeah, looking at this game, you know, the Chargers pass rush, they they look for real. Um, teams have been they willing to pass. scary. They look scary. Teams have been willing to pass against them, though, and the Jaguars have been looking to pass this year. So I think the Jaguars are going to go to the air here, even though they're going to have to contend with a pretty scary pass rush. Uh, I still, though, would be careful with Christian Kirk. He has a 12.2 yards per target. That's about four yards higher than what we'd expect for his dot. So he is definitely due for some negative regression. He's definitely still the, the wide receiver one here and the overall number one receiver on this team. But, you know, what you've gotten so far has been a little bit juiced by unsustainable efficiency uh, from in a per-target sense. On the other side, uh, you know, we've got an ailing Herbert, which is going to be a little bit of a bummer. I, I wonder if we get more checkdowns to Austin Eckler, more underneath targets. If Keenan Allen's back, we see him. I think Eckler's blowing up this week. Here. Yeah, I, I like the Eckler call for sure. Uh, could be lots of volume. The, the only concern with Eckler is that we saw Sony Michelle get a uh, get a couple goal line snaps. So maybe he doesn't have that role, but it's only a couple snaps. He's been awesome at the goal line. It's Sony Michelle. Like, I'm not freaking out. I think you still maybe he's, he's no Xander Horvath, to be yeah. clear. Yeah. And Crane, notice you said he snaps. You didn't say goal line touchdowns. He got one. Yeah, one touch, no touchdowns. So <laughs> hopefully, you know, yeah, maybe he's not going to have uh, a total stranglehold on it, but he should he should still have a role there. We know he's going to be involved a lot as a receiver. This could be a big check down week. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, if Mike Williams, uh, if Keenan Allen is out, Mike Williams, he's going to feast again. But I think if Allen is in, I'm a little bit worried about Williams. Again, just thinking through this injury stuff, maybe there's less downfield passing. I'll just to put a quick bow on this game. I'll just, I think I already said this in the podcast with Denny, but you, this is always a dangerous game. Like, well, when you remove the guy's best play, uh, when you remove the 37-yard touchdown James Robinson had in week two, he had 22 carries for 27 yards. And like, even 2021 playoff Cam Akers, I'm like, damn, man, like, uh, might need to produce a little more than that. And even with the carry in there, 23 carries for 64 yards is not exactly blowing the doors off the building. So James Robinson is a commanding touch lead over Travis Etienne so far, but I don't know if he can maintain that if he does not start showing more explosion. Denny Carter, the total has exploded up from 40 and a half and Saints Panthers to 41. This game is taking place in Charlotte. The Saints are three point favorites. What do we need to know? And no, and no one wins in Charlotte. So we no, no, no. I mean, that's what that, yeah. that's you're dreaming if you think you're right. coming in to it's whatever been, bank the stadium is named after right now and winning. It, it, it right. doesn't it's happen. Been 13 years <laughs> since a visiting team has come into the the, the jaws of Charlotte and won. The bank. That's the, uh, I think it's you're wrong. looking at the Bank of America right there. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And I apologize to Charlotte, by the way. Uh, look, this is a disgusting game. It should theoretically be a, a decent matchup for whoever is the running back for the Saints if Kamara's healthy, if Ingram gets the start. The thing is, and this I know this will make Kyle happy because weirdly this makes no sense for a Zoomer, but Kyle really likes Mark Ingram. Dude, I love yeah. bad running backs because they're let so this one cheap. Go. Yeah, I mean, I just, I just don't, I just don't get it. But 
it's but, probably because he is a zoomer he doesn't remember all the early times yeah yeah that's yeah, true so so ingram was actually not bad last week uh 10 carries for 60 yards before the game got out of hand against tampa uh ingram was i had to drill down on this one guys all right so just just let me let me have this all right mark ingram was seventh. go off king go off <laughs> ingram was seventh in yards after contact per carry okay. among running <laughs> around money running backs who saw at least 10 rushes last week okay so he could be he could be a decent option if if Kamara is out. I, I don't I don't know what to say about DJ Moore. I, I I tried to make a case for like why maybe you shouldn't panic, but I think it's I think it's panic time. I mean, uh, I don't see much of a ceiling in this offense. His twenty eight percent target per route run rate from last year is now all the way down to twenty percent. He has six catches in uh, two games, trapped in an offense with the third fewest offensive snaps. They just can't. The Panthers cannot stay on the field. So, you know, I think it's either going to be more having a decent game or Robbie Anderson having a decent game, but not, but never both. I actually do kind of agree that it's panic time on DJ Moore. Just, it's this, this staff, I mean, the, the, the quarterback personnel is one problem. The staff, too, just does not seem to know how to unlock the guy. And it just might be wait till next yeah. year. Again, by the way, I will mention Mark Ingram has lost a fumble in back to back games. Um, oh, Tony matter. Jones has lost a fumble. They put him on the field, but they don't. <laughs> It, it does. It doesn't matter. The Saints love him too much. Crane, any thought on Chris Olave coming only the fifth receiver since 2016 to have over 300 air yards in a game last weekend? So uh, Ian Hartz has a good cut up of this uh, on Twitter. If you you want to check out how many of these were real air yards versus prayer yards, they're all, and, they're all real. There was I will prayer. say though, he was getting steps on defenders in those. The throws were just for the most part uh, not great. But you're saying there were some stained glass uh, adorning the stadium on some of these. There's quite a few stained glass windows. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. And you know, I, Kyle, that's that's fair. But you know, he will be dealing with that level of quarterback play or worse yeah. for the rest of the season. So I don't know. I I think that Olave though has been impressive, and I'm I was skeptical of him coming in. Um, you know, I, I'm sort of the least interested in him of the of the Ohio State trio, Garrett Wilson. And uh, Jackson Smith and Jigbo, who hasn't declared yet, I think are going to be better than Olave personally. But Olave is impressing with 44% of the air yards so far this season, obviously driven mostly by that huge week two. He's gotten a 22% target per route run, though. So even if you kind of throw out the air yard stuff, that's pretty decent for a rookie. And he's already running 85% of the routes or 84% uh, for the total of the season. So to me, you know, you do have to start to wonder if if you've got like a potential breakout from Olave in the in the works. I think he might be a little hard to trust though because Landry's played pretty well this year. He has a two point zero four yards per hour run, quite good. Michael Thomas has played okay. He's actually had pretty impressive target volume. Michael Thomas, uh, Juwan Johnson is like weirdly in the mix here. He is. Um, he's getting he has seventeen percent target share. So target volume is not condensed in this offense. Uh, for the time being, I don't feel great about playing Chris Olave, but you know, definitely, definitely has a ceiling on a, on any given play with this air yard usage. And I think maybe towards the end of the season, we could be excited about him. Fresh off almost falconing harder than the Falcons, the Rams travel to Arizona to take on the Cardinals as three and a half point road favorites. Denny, the Cardinals had one of the most mistake filled epic comebacks I've ever seen in week <laughs> two, but they did pull it off. They Got the franchise-saving W. I mean, you could argue it was a good thing that they saved Cliff Kingsbury's job or not, but 
I mean, I'm just going to ask you, like, what is the state of the Arizona Cardinals? Like, what? Tell me what to think about the Arizona Cardinals because they looked horrible in week week one, and then yeah, they came back, and they I, I still don't really know how they came back because they kept committing penalties and drops, and still didn't look good even as they raced a twenty to nothing deficit. Can we quickly talk about the Raiders fans literally drinking champagne in the second half of that game? <laughs> I actually missed that. I, that's that, it's the best image I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, I mean, but that was all, you know, last week was all Kyler Murray just making miraculous plays in an offense completely devoid of talent, really. Uh, the Cardinals have nothing going on down the field. Only 10% of Kyler's attempts have gone over 20 yards. He's only completed three of nine of those attempts for 76 yards through two games. Man. Uh, you know, th- this this week, is, this is not a terrible matchup in a vacuum for Kyler in the passing offense, the Rams are allowing the fourth highest EPA per drop back. You have to consider their competition. Obviously, they got just wrecked by Josh Allen in, in week one. Uh, but, you know, PFF ranks them as the uh, 11th worst coverage unit over over two weeks. You know, he's still Kyler's still accounting for 20 percent of the rushes for Arizona, which is in line with with previous seasons. So, you know, he still has that rush base floor, uh, you know, as a fantasy option. I think Kyler is fine, but. I think, you know, Crane mentioned on a recent, uh, maybe last week, that if Greg Dorch is like, if this offense is going through Greg Dorch, then How the show's is, going. This is a failed, this is a failed offense. Like yeah. this, this is, this offense is not, is not working. And there, there's, and there's no real hope for it. Um, I will say the main beneficiary of this failed offense is probably Zach Ertz, who is, is now fully healthy, seeing all the targets in, in the middle of the field, like he was in the second half of last season. So yeah, obviously he's a must start in in all formats and probably a top five uh, fantasy option going forward. Denny, we talked about this in the waiver wire show, but we're still in agreement that if James Conner sits, he didn't practice Wednesday. We don't know his Thursday status yet as we do the show. We're in agreement. Darrell Williams, we get a slight rankings edge over Eno yeah. Benjamin, correct? I think I think so. Uh, you know, he he got the the goal line touch last week, punched it in. Talking about Daryl Williams, uh, I know we all like Eno Benjamin. We want him to get a chance, but you I, mean, know, I don't some know about that. But teams, they, well, you know, the 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 <laughs> analytics folks, they they like them some Eno. Um, and uh, I, I just I just don't see it. Uh, I I think Daryl Williams will will get the the bulk of the work, but but they will probably split enough so that there's not a ceiling for either guy. Craner on the other side, Allen Robinson, you know, kind of chilled in week one. Uh, he showed up a little bit in week two. Is he starting to life? Did we see some good things? I mean, I've seen lots of people like doing like five cut-ups of five plays of like A-Rob, like, you know, running like what seems to be like a good NFL route. But I don't know if it actually means anything. You well, said what, he's what, had five of those. In the- yeah, exactly. Yeah. What, what is the state of the A-Rob, Pat? Yeah, the film industrial complex, it's it's here to prop up Juju Smith-Schuster and oh, yes. Allen Robinson. That's, that's the whole point of it. And, you know, they're, they're doing their they're doing some of their finest work here. But it's Yeah, not, it looks like um, he's running hard. I will yeah. admit that. Uh. I mean, we are talking about a guy who is stirring to life with a 14% target rate, which is bad. That's That was the good game. In week one, he had a 4% target rate. I mean, this is... This has not been good. He definitely has a red zone role, but I mean, it's like he's he's like a poor man's Adam Thielen right now. Mm-hmm. I know. I've, I've actually thought that like several times in the rankings. Like this dude is sub Adam Thielen. Like he For he's sure. a Thielen who's not Thielen. 
You, you're right though about fil- film bros. They love Juju Smith-Schuster. <laughs> oh, him too. Yeah, they love it. <laughs> Man, film. We gotta study some better players. I, I get. I, I get because destroyed every time I say anything about Juju because like, haven't? Didn't you see his route? I'm like, say, do the film bros know that they can watch Look film of them? Good. You watch this stem and tell me you can't. <laughs> I'll be like, but that, that was from 2018. Like, wasn't that a running play? Wasn't he supposed to be run blocking? <laughs> you know, you can watch film of the good players too. <laughs> yeah, that's that'll be a shocking development. Kyle, any developments in Daryl Henderson versus Cam Akers? Oh, I mean, yeah, there were developments. Yeah, Cam developments. Absolutely, uh, clarity. Uh, yeah, none, exactly. None any so. clarity? No, not none. So, I mean, I, I do think that given what they invested in Akers, and given last year and when he was healthy the year before that how willing they were to absolutely load him up with touches. I have to believe they at least want him to be the long-term answer. And we saw maybe that play out in week two, but I, I can't say anything definitively. He outcarried uh, Daryl Henderson 15 to 10. But they split the red zone work, three touches apiece, and uh, Hendo still outrouted him 20 to eight. So it really was a committee by any other name. I think maybe there's some optimism that week one was a bit of an anomaly. Week two is more of what we should see going forward. And they slowly ramp acres up hoping that he can be more efficient. But to me, this is it's a bit of a stay-away situation. I mean, maybe you are forced to play them because we're already getting some injuries in the chamber, but I don't want to be playing these guys because in any given week, as of right now, they can switch because they're both just guys. I also think McVeigh has had a pretty strong lean towards wanting one back. I wrote about this in the walkthrough entering week one, where if he's going to you know, have a committee like this in week two, I think we could actually see him like commit to acres, maybe not this week, but you know, if he's, he's going to commit to somebody, I think he's going to give someone a chance, see how that goes. And then if they don't succeed, maybe it flips back to the other guy, but that's generally what we've seen where, you know, Henderson in week one led all running backs and snaps and routes. Like he is very willing to commit to a lead back. I think he would really like that back to be acres, but you know, he, he might not be up to it. Kyle, in a game that CBS has declined to televise, first time it's happened <laughs> in 20 years, the Texans and Bears are squaring <laughs> off in the Windy City with the Bears as two-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, since this game will not be on TV, well, what do the fans need to know about it? Nothing. Skip it. No. <laughs> the, the, so there was uh, at least an interesting development and clarity in this case in the Houston backfield in which we got some good quotes about Lovey Smith saying he wants to get Damian Pierce the ball more. They like what they've seen from him after week one where it was kind of clear that Rex Burkhead was the top back. That wasn't the case in week two. Rex Burkhead did not see a carry. He got three targets, caught two of them didn't do anything with those. Damian Pierce got all of the carries, obviously. And then again, this week, you know, Lovey Smith saying, well, you know, some stuff the team needs to work on. They need to finish more. Damian Pierce, not among those players. He's a player who's on the team that hasn't finished well, has actually done that. So I think if his comments in week one were an indication they were going to give him more work, week two should be the same thing. Like, I think they will in a game that they should actually be able to keep close. It's only a two and a half point spread. They're going to try and get him going. And he's been efficient at every turn of his career, even if he hasn't been a workhorse back. But with only Rex Burke as your competition, this is the chance to get all of the carries. So I'm actually pretty excited to see Damian Pearson's game. I'm not excited about mm, anything. No, not excited about anything else, but excited <laughs> about Damian Pierce. Cooks, he does what he does. He's top 10 in target share, back-to-back games, 10-plus targets. Quarterback is Davis Mills, who's now on the injury report with the thumb issue that supposedly isn't an issue, but why would be on the injury report? So he's a volume wide receiver 2-3 type. That's what he's always been, and he'll be that way for the next two decades. On the Bears' side, uh, I I can't imagine ever playing any of this passing attack. They have completed... You're saying that because Velas Jones isn't back yet. Once he's back, things could change. I'm sure they won't, but they could. 
Uh, they have completed fewer than 10 passes in back-to-back games of the past four seasons. They are one of three teams to just do that twice in a season. And they did it in games one and two. There are only two games, and they've done it both times. Don't I never play any of these pass catchers. Dave Montgomery, sort of the Damian Pierce thing, but I think Pierce may be more talented. Montgomery, a better role. Montgomery has seen over 70% of the team's backfield carries. He's played on over 85% of the team's third downs, and he's got a target share north of 20%. He's like a... He's like what we wanted Najee Harris to be, essentially, but he came much cheaper now. So I'm, I'm sort of into him as a RB2. You're not happy about it, but they're actually favoring this game, too. Can I interest you in a Montgomery-Pierce correlation stack? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that was a really good microphone lean, by the way. <laughs> that's so horrible. That was, that's what, that's what that, that needed that. Yeah, I learned from the <laughs> bet. <laughs> I just want to know here that in, in week one, the Bears and the 49ers played in this monsoon. And it was such terrible conditions that we basically had to throw out everything. The trends, you know, what? oh, the Bears were so run heavy. But we, that doesn't mean anything because they were in the rain. They couldn't pass. Of course, they had a yeah. minus 18% pass rate of expected in that game, which is absurdly high. Absurdly low. No. They went to minus 25% <laughs> against the Packers. We got to throw out week one because it was too optimistic. It was too good were, for them. Yes. <laughs> they were significantly more run heavy in week two than they were in the monsoon. I think we're going to have to throw out all of the bear stats this year. They're going to skew everybody. We're <laughs> just keep getting like worse. a run funnel. <laughs> I mean, you saw it too. When they were trying to come back against the Packers, they were like, how do you come back? You give it to David Montgomery off the left guard. <laughs> He did. He was gaining like nine yards per he was carry. Good to, he's actually running. I was a little concerned well right about now. the Packers' run defense yeah. after watching that. Uh, so. But even just from a time efficiency sense, that's not how you yeah. come back. You know, just yeah. in terms of Shock- literal shockingly, clock they didn't lose yeah. that game. I don't know. Yeah. Well, hopefully, you know? we're allowed to replay this game on NFL Plus after it's not on CBS. Crane, the Seahawks have been bet down to one point favorites versus the feisty Atlanta Falcons. The game's in Seattle. The total is forty-two. What do we need to know? Well, you can just throw out the backfield here. It's a three-way split. Don't worry about it. Travis Homer led the the team in snaps last week. Gross. Don't want anything to do with it. We look at the passing game. I would note that Geno Smith has the lowest ADOT in the league at 5.2. If you look at other quarterbacks' average depth of targets, this is so low that you can find four quarterbacks who have an average depth of target of twice that, of (laughs) 10.4 or higher. Those being Lamar Jackson, Jameis Winston, Justin Fields, and Tom Brady. Smith's ADOT is nearly two full yards more shallow than Ben Roethlisberger's last year. I mean, this is a joke. So there's no value here in in anything. There's just no value in this whole offense because their their passes are runs. Their runs are split up. It's it's a total disaster. (laughs) If we go to the, the Falcon side, I would keep the faith with Kyle Pitts. He actually ran one more route than Drake London last year. We're recording the show for 2024, by the way. Yeah, mm-hmm. keep the faith. Dynasty yeah. asset. You got to hold on to him. <laughs> uh, no, he's still getting wide receiver route opportunity, which is very rare for a tight end. I do think he'll bounce back. That doesn't mean, though, that Drake London isn't for real. He has a 32% target share. He's got a 10.1 ADOT to be getting that level of target share with a nice kind of intermediate number one wide receiver level ADOT. Shows he's winning in the intermediate as an intermediate option. He's a sustainable yards per target. It's basically right where you'd expect it to be a little bit better. It's kind of a perfect breakout wide receiver sort of setup. Um, in the backfield here, Patterson's target rate is down considerably from last year. That's a split backfield right now. Uh, I'm not really that interested in Patterson this week, but 
London and, and Pitts for sure. We'll be right back after this. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Don't forget to check out Matthew Berry's new show, Fantasy Football Happy Hour with Matthew Berry. The legendary fantasy analyst is back with NBC and Rotoworld doing what he does best, rolling out his love-hate list, breaking down who to start and sit, and so much more. There will also be plenty of actionable information along the way for you sports bettors. Check it out weekdays at noon on Peacock or listen to the show on podcast form wherever you download and subscribe. And what should have been one of the most high-powered offensive displays of the week, the walking wounded Tampa Bay Bucks are hosting the Green Bay Packers as one-and-a-half-point favorites with a 41-and-a-half over under Crane. You have the unenviable task of kind of trying to sort through this Bucks receiver malaise and like, we don't even know who's going to play. It doesn't seem like Julio Jones is going to play. So they could be down Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Julio. I guess like, is Russell Gage a wide receiver three? Things of that nature, Pat. Uh, <laughs> uh, I resign. <laughs> that's, that's fair, actually. That's totally fair. Uh, moving on, yeah. No, Brashad Perriman season, right? Um, I think it's it's Mike Evans or nothing, right? I mean, we can't be, we can't be talking about Scotty Miller and stuff. Uh, that's, that's definitely – this can we far. not? I think it, can we not? We can't. Is that true? We can't. We so can't can we talk still about talk about Mike Evans, even though he's suspended for this game? Um, is that well? Then it's nothing. Then it's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's Mike Evans or nothing, and he's suspended, so it's nothing. You really don't think Russ Gay? I, I, yeah, you don't think he'd no, be a no, wide no. receiver three scam? Really? No, no, <laughs> no. This guy knows what I'm talking about. No, no. Russell Gay is not. Right. But but I, I actually kind of like Perriman. Ooh. Good God. All right. We should just maybe move on from this before we tell people to start well, be starting saying. random Bucks wide receivers. No, I mean, no, Denny, we're all going to just say I a horrible. Tried to, I tried to tell them it's nothing. We're all going to just have an individual horrible Bucks receiver we think is good. I'm like trying. To, I'm not trying to say you jam Perryman, but, you know, if you're in a 14 teamer and you're. And but you're look, I've got 10 K's posted in the drafting lobby. In a 14 teamer. <laughs> <laughs> Cole Beasley, I mean, I'm just saying the over under for targets is nine and a half. He hasn't been promoted from the practice squad yet, but I'm over under nine and a half targets for Cole Beasley. Oh boy. In this one. I will say Scotty Miller's been targeted on 42% of his routes. That's what I'm 42%, saying. 42%. Uh now he does have, and this is bad, a 4.3 yards per target. <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> Does not matter. Nothing matters to the Tampa Bay Bucks this week, except for maybe Leonard Fournette. They've been very run heavy through two games. Is the kind of struggle for identity with the the lineman injuries, yeah, the uh, the receiver injuries. We're keeping the Lenny faith right after he pledged to his fantasy managers to score a touchdown this week. Uh, is he RB one Leonard Fournette this week? Let's put it that way. I would say yes. 
still. Yep. Kyle? Yeah. You can't keep faith if you never had faith. No, well, I never did. So, and of course, he's immediately well, he's kind of winning the argument because his usage has been crazy, but he's not scoring yeah. or doing. He's not winning the argument. Though. He's not scoring any fantasy points. So that's the argument, and he's not doing it. <laughs> no, so the argument is more about theory crafting and the idea <laughs> yeah. of what fantasy the points could be. Fantasy points. Yeah, <laughs> <He should> be. <laughs> no, he's not scoring fantasy points. More. Yeah, I, I you think took him over AJ Brown. You blew it. Yeah, so. I wasn't doing that. I wasn't doing that. I think the, the only like. The big concern for me is the fact that they're run heavy. Talk about like, you know, Greg Dorch being the symptom of a bad offense. The fact that you have Tom Brady and you're running so much is yeah. very clear exactly. evidence that your offense isn't good. And no one, I don't think anyone was betting on Lenny because he was, you know, we, they weren't taking him with the 22nd overall picker and then the fantasy draft. They thought he was one of the 22 best skill position play, players in the NFL. They thought he was one of the 70 best playing on the two to three best offenses. And uh. you've lost that side of the argument already. So now you've just got, you know, like fancy Najee Harris again. Yeah, I mean, you, oh, you're, you were counting on the fact that catches count for one point. That's who you're counting on. And... <laughs> You, you're not going to get a bunch of those catches now because the Buccaneers aren't passing. Lenny is an early down grinder. He's no fun. We need him to get be, be getting a bunch of dump-offs. Yeah, which doesn't make sense that he's not because he's – yeah, well, he is a – He's not throwing receiver. it. Their early down pass rate is egregious. He's also <laughs> – yeah, yeah, good, good uh, reference. Good visual uh, reference. I, I love I, – you know, sometimes fantasy is easy. You were banking on a lot of one-point catches. That is and, true. Uh, he did get to the heart of the you, matter there. If you don't get that, then you you don't have much. That's that. Kyle uh, or Denny, excuse me, Packers yeah. wide receivers. I just wrote oh, question God. mark. None yeah. of them practice Thursday. I thought it was like a, a rep a, management thing. Alan Lazard, Christian Watson, and uh, who's the who's the other guy? Romeo Dobbs, Randall Sammy Cobb. Watkins. We're all downloaded, downloaded, downgraded yeah. from questionable to DNP. I thought it was kind of just rep manager. They also promoted a guy, or they signed a guy in the practice squad. Right. Uh, I, anyways, I, I, what do we even say? About uh, first, this? I want to say I want to say thank you for giving me this question. It was really <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. It, it was I, I heard you say fun. my name on accent at the beginning. I was like, yeah. no, 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 please, please, no. Yeah. yeah it was fun to look into. My my eyes bled for 15 minutes afterward. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, Romeo Dobbs. It's called uh, the Clockwork Orange Prep. I do that every I, week. Yeah, I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read you what I have. Okay, and then and then you guys, I'll report. You decide. You'll get what uh, you get, and you'll like it. All right, go, Danny. Dobbs leads all Green Bay receivers with a 13% target share so far. He's been targeted on 24% of his routes, which, which leads all Packers wideouts now. Last week, there was you know not not great uh, usage by anyone here. Sammy Watkins was at a 62% route rate. Dobbs was at a 45% route rate. Watson was at 24%. Randall Cobb was at 41%. So, I mean, there you know, it's just like a rotation. It's hard to pinned down I, I guess i guess i would still say romeo dobbs comes out jumps out to me as like the guy who could emerge eventually but they seem they they seem intent on making an alan lazard a thing you know and i i so i just don't know where it's going to come from but 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 dobbs does have some interest especially if they're down a bunch of receivers in this game yeah, we, it's a weird situation that we just don't know what is going on with the health. Uh, so it's going to be a really – if you're listening to this Friday morning, it's going to be a really, really critical team. Yeah. You know, be following the injury report with. Kyle, it was an Aaron Jones week last week. Uh, do we expect the same thing against a pretty tough Bucks defensive front? I mean, we do right. Where he's, he has a clear rankings advantage on A.J. Dillon this week. Am I mistaken? 
I mean, I, I would definitely take him over AJ Dillon, but we saw last week AJ Dillon got more carries and as many targets as Aaron Jones week one. He got more carries and more targets. We still have Aaron Jones running more routes on the year, but to me, AJ Dillon's proficiency on his uh, on his fewer routes is a really strong indicator of his improved talent as a pass catcher. So. I wouldn't make it a clear-cut advantage for Aaron Jones. They've also split the red zone attempts on on last week 2-2, and then A.J. Dillon had a slight lead. They didn't get many red zone shots, but they got a slight lead on the few that they had in week one. So to me, if we're still saying they're split the red zone work, sure, Aaron Jones runs more routes, but, I mean, A.J. Dillon's really good when he is running routes. It's it's a very slight lead for Aaron Jones. I think any given week it can flip. Obviously, Jones is still incredibly talented. We saw that last week. So is A.J. Dillon. So I'd have them both ranked as RB2s within a few spots of each other, which I think I do. I actually do, too. I kind of phrased the question that way because I felt like I was an outlier there. Uh, after I posted my rankings Thursday morning, like lots of people were all over me for having A.J. Dillon ranked as an RB2 against this Bucks defensive front. But this is a, this is a run-based team right now. Uh, I just feel like even against a tough run defense, his like touch and carries floor is just a, like a lot higher than a lot of people behind him. And I, I was losing faith in my AJ Dillon RB two ranking, but not why. Are, why are we afraid bit. of the the Bucks defense? They have they rank thirtieth in rush success rate. They've played because they have Ezekiel Elliott. Elliott on the team. Yeah, okay, but they they've played Ezekiel Elliott and Mark Ingram. Like the, well, Mark Ingram's still good, so let's not yeah. go. <laughs> they, he, Mark Ingram had one of the most hilarious fumbles I've ever seen. It was not great. Look, he had a good uh, – I think Dennis <laughs> had a good, like, yards after contact over expected yeah. or some, you know, bizarre statistic I've never heard. <laughs> but at the end of the day, he did um, he did fumble in the red zone when the team was attempting to make a comeback, and they only needed, like, 10 points to come back. Are, Couldn't are get the, it because Mark Ingram coughed it up. But. Are the kids not talking about rush yards over expected? <laughs> No, I, I just couldn't remember which. I just couldn't remember which one you you cited. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, Producer was, Adam, by the way, highlights Akeem Hicks is a run plugger extraordinaire. Akeem Hicks out for the Bucks this week. Oh, and there you go. I, I, this sets up to me as a game where the Packers are probably going to want to run the ball because I mean they don't know what they're doing at wide receiver, which is generally you know makes passing harder. Uh, last week when they were actually successful, they had a minus 10% pass rate over expected. You can get away with that against the Bears. You couldn't get away with that against the Buccaneers if they were firing on all cylinders, but we know they're not. And we know the Bucs are probably going to be okay with, you know, they've got pass protection issues. Their guys are playing better in run blocking than pass blocking. They'll probably be fine with a run-based attack. You know, it's kind of one of these things where it might be like, you know, when like when Zimmer would would uh, would play the Browns, it's like a handshake deal. Like we're just going to run against each other. Right. OK, <laughs> like, I, I kind of think that's where this is headed. The, the Buccaneers or the uh, the Packers are a run funnel. They've been a real run funnel defense. So, you know, that should be more incentive for the Bucks to run it here. And I think the Packers right now, at least until they get wide receiver figured out, are going to be more comfortable running the ball, especially because both these guys are really good. And Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. The 49ers begin their latest Jimmy Garoppolo era as one-and-a-half-point favorites in Denver against the Broncos, Kyle. The fallout here should be fairly predictable. We've kind of talked about it all week on our podcasts and our content, but does this presage any big, like, particular changes for any any pass catcher in particular? The switch from Trey Lance to Jimmy Garoppolo, or is it pretty cut and dry? We're going to see more pass volume now. We're going to see less of a run game commitment. I mean – They've lost two running backs and a dual threat quarterback. Um, just what what are the big takeaways, Kyle, for Jimmy Garoppolo somehow yet again having the 49ers starting quarterback job? Hey, good for him. He's a handsome guy. He's got a starting job. 
<laughs> that's yeah, that's most of the credit I'll give him in life. But yeah, yeah. anyway, I, I think that they look a lot like they did last year. Maybe because Jimmy wasn't practicing with them throughout the summer, and he's just coming in to get his first, you know, starting reps in practice this week. They still even lean a little bit more towards the run in a game that, uh, like, it, it should be like many games this week. Ugly, where uh, San Francisco, in this case, wins uh, a low-scoring affair, will give them the opportunity to lean on Jeff Wilson, who they looked perfectly comfortable with doing last week. He was out carrying, uh, at that time, Ty Davis-Price. This week, it'll have to be Jordan Mason. It was 15-7 uh, to 7 until the final drive, in which they were just kind of running it down, Seattle's throat salting it away. So maybe we have a little bit of ramp-up before we get a more pass-heavy. They'll still be a run-balanced team, but a more pass-heavy approach from them. Overall, this is great for the pass catchers, though, because they were going to run a lot with their quarterback before this, and when they were throwing, it wasn't looking like it was going to be the best. Now, for me, I think Debo Samuel has a real chance to be sort of that repeat of the early season last year. Through nine weeks, he was leading the NFL in uh, target share. He was top four in fantasy points for receivers and PPR scoring. And last week, he only played 20% of his snaps at running back when they desperately, well, you would think they desperately needed a run running back, but they used him sparingly at running back. So if that's what we get, I think that's the ideal version of Debo. Two, three carries help supplant the loss of Elijah Mitchell and Ty Davis Price, but don't make him actually play running back. And I don't think that's what he wants. So if we get real receiver Debo, I think that's his path to being a wide receiver one with Jimmy under center. I'd actually push back on the that we didn't get running back Debo because he did play 11 snaps at running back. He averaged 12 in the playoffs last year. I think part of like the Debo's so efficient that we think he played like more running back snaps than he did because he just scores from like his rate dropped from week one by a lot though. I will say yeah. when you still say only twenty percent of a wide receiver, it is a lot for a wide receiver. Back, it, it is a lot. Yeah, and I, I do wonder with TDP out now, like are they going to play Jordan Mason? I mean, Davis Price had fourteen carries last week, so it does kind of create a hole. So it seems like Jeff Wilson, I've never seen these movies, by the way, is kind of like infinity, collecting infinity stones is like kind of Thanosing and somehow consolidating power in this uh, 49ers backfield. And it's kind of crazy. I think for a reference, I'm a fair amount of Jeff Wilson, so I'm kind of into this analogy. (laughs) I think for a reference, you would like, I I think of him as Bruce Willis and Die Hard as all the receivers or all the runners on the team are just being, you know, they're being splattered into the walls. He's crawling (laughs) through the rafters or whatever and comes out 20 carries every week. Yeah, that's pretty accurate, actually. Uh, Yeah, he's a very unlikely locked-in RB2, but he is a locked-in RB2, Jeff Wilson, Train, Denny has already declared Russell Wilson bad. I'm pretty sure Lawrence Jackson declared him bad on our Tuesday podcast. Is he bad? Is he cooked? What's what's the deal with uh, Russell Wilson? So I think here's what's happening with Russell Wilson, okay? The coaching was so bad in week one that, you know, it just like – and it was, it was a, such a terrible debut for the Broncos. We were disgusted. We were disgusted. Then we go into week two, the coaching still very bad. And then Russ also bad. So now we're like, Russ stinks. But we do have to remember that Russ was actually pretty good in week one. If you look at you know the advanced stats, he's still sixth in EPA per play on the season. So you know he's been fine. Has Russ been good this year? No, he's been good. He's not been bad. Six and is good. I'd argue six is good. Six he's is playing good. an elite he's, defense, though. Like, his accuracy has not been great. He's probably playing a little – like that six probably overstates how good he's been a little bit, but – Yeah, this is not a good matchup, uh, but I think the 49ers defense could be a little bit fraudulent. They've gotten the Bears and the Seahawks so far. Like maybe he's able to, you know, kind of overcome what looks like a not great matchup on paper. 
49ers pretty elite unit last year, though. Most yeah. pretty pretty much carried that over. Danny, I was going to skip asking you about the Broncos pass catchers because Jerry Judy seems to be out this week. But I guess I should. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about Alberto. Uh, any Alberto love? Any tea leaves to read there? Uh, not much. Not much. I think. I mean, if Judy's out, like Cortland Sutton could go berserk. You know, yeah. I mean, he he saw like a huge. I have the notes somewhere here. Uh, let's see. Uh, it says KJ Hamler might make his NFL debut yeah. this week. Three right. years ago, he, he might play his first game. He might play. Otherwise, Tyree Cleveland. <laughs> That's such a good burn. Tyree Cleveland is going to be the wide receiver Oof. too, perhaps. Um, good down, down bad. But yeah, Sutton had a 40% target share, 48% air yard share with Judy out last week for most of the game. So it's just it's just Sutton. It's just Sutton or butts really for Broncos receivers. Denny, we end the show by talking about Joe Buck and Troy Aikman and what will surely be thinly veiled horror at having to call Cooper Rush mm-hmm. versus Daniel Jones from them uh, Monday Night Football. What, what did what did Joe and Troy need to know to maybe make Cowboys at Giants enjoyable? Thirty nine total right yeah. now. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be hideous. Okay, look, uh, Daniel Jones. We had a blurb the other day. Daniel Jones, the most pressured quarterback in the league through two weeks. It's not a shock behind a terrible offensive line. The Giants' offense line is so bad that Brian Dayball said in the preseason, I, I don't know if I can play my guys because they're going to get killed behind this line. They're still that line. Now they, they go against Micah Parsons, the most dominant pass rusher in the game right now, single-handedly won the game for the Cowboys last week against the Bengals. The Cowboys de- tried desperately to lose that game. Parsons wouldn't let them, so congratulations <laughs> to him. And, and so the Giants are going to be able to do nothing, I don't think, on offense. Uh, the Cowboys are committed to you know, being careful and establishing and everything with, with Dak out. So it's just, it's, this game is really, really ugly. Obviously you're starting CD lamb and just praying for that volume. Eventually, eventually hits for, for CD lamb. I, 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 but I don't know, like, like Tony Pollard doesn't, you know, really, but lots of people are asking me in my Tuesday stream, am I starting Pollard? Am I starting the answer? I, you know, I mean, I guess, I guess if you're desperate, yeah, you go ahead. But like, I'm, I'm a little skeptical on, on being, yeah, I'm not bullish on him this week. So let's just say that. The Cowboys' organizational-wide commitment to 15 carries for 50 yards for Ezekiel Elliott yeah. continues. It's, it's just crazy. Astound me. And we know where it's coming from. Jerry Jones. I mean, I've never seen someone that happy when he said we go as goes. Well, <laughs> how's that going? <laughs> How is that going? It's a good question. Giants by the receivers. They the Giants have receivers on the roster. Um, they're kind of trying to figure out who they are and who David Sills isn't. Yeah, David Sills. That's, that's I mean, what's happening. It actually is because Richie oh, James, I think, man. is. I, I should have ended, I should have ended the show. <laughs> Sills is like leading them in routes. Like, they you should have ended the show before you could point that out. They Good love God. him. He's the he's the wide receiver one, except for well, two, two behind Sterling Shepard. Good God. That's a really good time to end the show. We're out of week three <laughs> things to talk about, um, even though it's a verifiable fact. Uh, it's just a really sad one. Yeah. Um, we hope you did not have a really sad time with us, though, because we had a really, really good, enjoyable afternoon breaking down all 15 of the non-Thursday night. Like we, because Jeff, Until Jeff Bezos pays for a better Thursday night game, we're just not going to talk about it. Sure, it's because the podcast comes out after Thursday night football, but and that's why we don't actually talk yeah. about it. But uh, until he starts paying for better games, we're just not going to talk about it as a protest. So... Are you guys happy? Did we do a good job. You think you got to take a you got to take a stance sometimes. <laughs> you do. If you you stand stand for what what does it stand 
Stand for, for nothing something. now, you get nothing later. No, if it's you like stand, stand for Jaguars, Titans, you'll fall for. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, stand Colts, for Texans. nothing. If you don't, st- then you'll fall for anything. If you yeah, don't yeah. stand. You'll whatever. fall for David Sills as a wide receiver form. <laughs> something. Yeah. I, I just need to end the show for Patrick Corain, for Kyle Dvorak, for Denny Carter. I am Patrick Darty. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.